hear the word of the Lord from Acts 19, 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all, and this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. All right, so uh, as you can see, we're in Acts 19. Uh, we're doing like a really short series uh, right now, uh, really trying to answer this question, uh, why is our church the way it is? Uh, a lot of times people have difficulties describing what our church is because we intentionally try to take uh, the best from various Christian traditions and implement it at our church. All right, so we, we did, uh, two, weeks, two weeks ago, we talked about how our church is centered on God's word. That's why we preach verse by verse through scripture. Uh, we want to make sure that all of our teaching and our practices are based on the Bible, on God's word. And then the, a week ago, we talked about how we wanted to be a church that, that took seriously uh, the tradition of the Christian church and that we will be those who hold uh, the, Lord's, um, the Lord's Supper and baptism highly and that we would, look, we would humble ourselves and look back over the 2,000 years of church history and say, what can we learn and what can we implement? Today we're going to talk about uh, what it means to be Pentecostal or charismatic. What's interesting is my, I, I've had a really interesting journey uh, in my Christian faith. My, my first experience as I got saved uh, for like three or four years, I was discipled in, in a Pentecostal church context. So in a very, in a, in a way, that's kind of like, that's my home. Uh, I'm real comfortable in, in, that, in that area, which a lot of people aren't comfortable with. <laughs> but I, I, I'm chill there. That's, 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 that's my people. Uh, one thing that's interesting is when you look at the West, when you look at America, you look at Europe, it seems uh, that Christianity is in decline. And that is numerically true. However, globally, Christianity is not in decline. Christianity is booming in South America and Africa and in, and in a lot of parts of Asia. And the type of Christianity that is growing rapidly is the Pentecostal or the charismatic flair of, of, that, of Christianity. And here's one reason. One reason I think this is true. Every time the Holy Spirit fills people in the New Testament, it says that they have boldness. Every time somebody feels, uh, the Holy Spirit feels somebody in the New Testament, they have boldness and begin to preach God's word boldly. And I remember I was discipled uh, in, in, a, in a Pentecostal context. This is, this is kind of anecdotally, but whenever you're asked to uh, praise uh, and, and worship like visibly, you actually have to work through some fear of man issues. 
So, like, if I'm going to lift my hand, what is that person going to think of me? You know, like, so, like, like in, in, in your normal everyday Sunday experience, you got to work through, I'm going to do what, what I think the Lord wants me to do, no matter what people think of me. If I look crazy or, or silly or whatever, and I think that, that does translate into evangelism. Like, you practice not caring what people think on Sundays, and then you got to practice not caring what people think when you share the gospel because they might think you're crazy. But long story short, is the Holy Spirit gives us boldness. And so we have to be a church that has a robust theology and experience of the Holy Spirit. We have to understand who he is, and we actually have to live in him. So before we get into the text, I'm going to ask the Lord to help us. Father, please help us to understand your word. Your word is holy, is given to us by your spirit. So help us understand what's written there and help us to implement it in our lives. Please speak through me and give us ears to hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we look at the first uh, couple of verses. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior re- regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? <laughs> no, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. What we see here is that Paul is, is, is the, the example Paul is teaching is that discipleship is incomplete without the knowledge and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship is incomplete without the knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is and the empowering that comes from the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is that the apostles, can you turn it down a little bit? I feel like I'm echoing a little bit. The apostles assumed that disciples of Jesus would be familiar with the Holy Spirit. That was just an assumption. He's like, he meets some new people. Oh, you follow Jesus? You down the Holy Spirit? That, just, that was just a common thing. It wasn't like this member of the Trinity that we didn't talk about. It wasn't someone who was foreign or that we were afraid of. He's like, integral to your Christian discipleship, your understanding of who Jesus is, is that you know who the Holy Spirit is and that you have been filled with him. Now, we've got to back up for a minute. Who exactly is the Holy Spirit? He's like that, that member of the Trinity that we, we don't know much about. He's kind of mysterious. But there is a definition of who he is and what he has done that is universally accepted. It's from the Nicene Creed. This is what it says. It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We learned a couple of things. The first thing we learned is this, is that the Holy Spirit gives life. He gives life in creation, and he gives life in redemption. So you go all the way back to Genesis, all the way in the, the second verse of the Bible, it, it, before God created, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Integral in creation is the Spirit of God. He is perfecting and giving life. Matter of fact, when, when God created man, he says he breathed the, 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 the Spirit or the breath of God into him. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life, the one who produces life at creation. But not only that, if you know Christ, if you have spiritual life, that has been produced by the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit, he's the third person of the Trinity. So when we get this command from Jesus to go baptize in his name, it says we go baptize him in what? In the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not God Jr. He's not God Light. He's fully God. Matter of fact, in in 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the Holy Spirit is fully God. 
because he is fully God, he is worthy of honor and praise. That's why when we sing our psalm, you know what we say at the end? Glory to who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is worthy of honor and praise because he is fully God. And if you look at this definition from the Nicene Creed, it says that he spoke through the prophets, meaning this, the Holy Spirit reveals God's speech to us. Primarily, he does that through the Bible. We talked about this two weeks ago. Who wrote the Bible? The Spirit of God wrote the Bible. But not only that, the Spirit of God opens up our eyes so that we can understand what's in the Scripture. And he also communicates God's love and direction in our hearts. If we are going to understand anything about God, we have to understand him through the means of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who communicates who God is, what he has done, and what he wants from us. What's interesting is, is when Paul is, is coming to these new disciples and he asks them about, have you received the Holy Spirit? What, what's interesting is that the assumption is that the gospel that they heard would include something about the Holy Spirit. If they heard the gospel that Paul preached and that Jesus preached and that the apostles preached, that they wouldn't have been confused about that question. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Look, in verse 3 he says, into what then were you baptized? In other words, you're like, what, you, what did you hear? What gospel did you hear? If you didn't hear about the Holy Spirit, what, what, what are you talking about? He asked them, and he says, into John's baptism. They're talking about John the Baptist. All the way, the, 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 the forerunner of Jesus. He says, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So what, what, what we hear is that these people, they had... Uh, somewhat of a half gospel. The, the message that they heard wasn't a full and complete one because they had only heard what John the Baptist preached. Now, if you remember John the Baptist, he was Jesus' cousin. He was the one who was preparing people for Jesus to come. And he said a couple of things. One of the things he said, as he said, when he saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he, he's talking something about the redemption that Jesus would purchase with his death on the cross. So you can hear John's gospel, you go, Jesus' death, it it atones for me, it covers my sins, it is a way for me to be forgiven, but that's actually not the end of the gospel. It's a crucial and important piece, but it's not the full one. And we can actually get this from what John the Baptist himself said. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said, I baptize, immerse you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So even in John's preaching, he says, listen, I I want you to repent. I want you to seek forgiveness of your sins. But there's something else you need. You need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And John's like, "I I can't do it. But there's one who's coming. Jesus is coming, and he will immerse you. Like, we think about, about baptism. Think about, about, about the, the, the fact that whoever is getting baptized, the water is all over him. You feel me? Like, it's like you get in a pool. Where is the water? Everywhere. That is the type of life that God wants you to have with the Holy Spirit, that you are immersed, surrounded, filled with 
God the Holy Spirit. And beloved, this is a good thing because the Holy Spirit is the author of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. If you want those things reigning in your life, then you have to be immersed in the one who produces that. And Jesus said, I am the one who immerses you in the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul's saying, if you don't talk about the Holy Spirit, you don't have a full gospel. That's the issue. Because those those disciples that he met, they could have been like, yeah, Jesus comes and he dies and and we repent. And Paul's like, yes, but there's more. That's that's not it. And so when when you think about the gospel that we have received, we have received a gospel that involves every member of the Trinity. So, so listen, when you think about the gospel, we have God the Father who loves you and created you. If you go to John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world. That's God the Father so loved the world. So there's this love, this grace, this, this posture of love to you that comes from God the Father. But not only that, he sent his son. The son came and he died. Jesus Christ was, was incarnated. He was born. He lived sinlessly. He died in your place. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. That's not all, though. If you remember the creed that we confess, what happens next? He ascended into heaven. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us from heaven. Listen to what he says in John 16. This is Jesus talking. He says, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is better that I go away, because if I don't go away... The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So what's happening? When we think about the gospel of Christ, we have Jesus coming, and he's living a life that is perfect in our place. And because he lived that perfect life and that obedient death, he deserves to be rewarded with all the goodness of God. And when Jesus goes to to heaven, he is rewarded with that goodness, chiefly this being filled with the Holy Spirit. But then when he sits in heaven, he looks down on his church and he says, you know, what I have been, this goodness that I have received, this fullness of God's spirit, I'm going to pour out on my church. And Acts chapter 2, that's when the Holy Spirit comes, right? And the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 and people are speaking in tongues and they're praying and they're preaching and everybody's like, what in the world is going on? What? Y'all wilding out. You know, so for y'all wilding out, y'all drunk. And Peter's like, no, it's nine in the morning, y'all chill. Hell, you can't get drunk or not. Anyway, uh, he's like, nah, nah, it's in the morning. We're not drunk. We, we've been filled with the Spirit. And then when he, be, when he begins to explain what happened, he says, this Jesus whom you crucified has risen from the dead. He is, is seated in heaven, and he has poured out what you now see in here. So in the first presentation of the gospel that we have after Jesus ascended into heaven, central to that presentation was the Holy Spirit coming and feeling, filling his people. <laughs> That's funny. Lord have mercy. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, what he does is he comes and makes us spiritually alive. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 3, it says, he says, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you have a favorable and accurate opinion of Jesus, that is because the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. If you submit to him as Lord, 
That's because the Spirit of God has come into your heart, has taken that unbelief, has given you new life so that you begin to love what is good and true and beautiful. You would not be a Christian without the intervention of the Holy Spirit who gives you new life and an an affection for Jesus. What's interesting is I knew about Jesus before I was a Christian, but I didn't care that much about him. If I could just be blunt, I, I, I was like, that's cool, that's interesting, and I went about my business, right? But there came a day when the Spirit of God reached into my heart, and I said, I don't just know something about Jesus, but I love him, and I know him. Who produced that affection? Who produced that knowledge? It was the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is the reason that we confess Jesus is Lord. He is a gift from the Father and the Son to us. And not only that, the Holy Spirit is pivotal and active in your life if you confess Jesus. The Spirit of God convicts Christians of sin. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What is he talking about? Y'all know when y'all do something, you know you tripping, right? And you feel that, 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 that something rises in you, like, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. That's, that's wrong. That sense that you have made God sad or you have transgressed his commandment, that is from the Spirit. He convicts you. He convicts you, and by convicting you, warns you. Warns you, don't go this way, go that way. Not only does he convict us, the Holy Spirit comforts Christians by reminding them of God's love and care. In Romans 8, 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. If you've ever had the feeling that you belong to God, that God loves you, that God cares about your day-to-day, that was produced in you by the Spirit of God. If I, if I could be transparent, I remember, I think it was uh, on Thursday, I was, there was a couple of things I was stressed about, and I, I just took a walk. I was walking down the street, and I was praying, and, and, and I had this feeling, this feeling overcame me, like, man, God loves me, He cares for me, I belong to Him. Therefore, all the things that I'm stressed about, he is going, he's going to orchestrate it, and it's going to be okay. Beloved, that was produced by the Spirit. He testifies with us. No, no, remember who you belong to. Remember who loves you. In Romans 5, 5, it says, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You want to know that you know that you know that God loves you? You need that assurance and that testimony from the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. There's so so many voices that are coming about things that would make us anxious and scared and and doubt God's love for us. Sometimes it's our own sin. (laughs) Sometimes it's our own mistakes that we make, failing to live up to God's standards, and we could be so afraid of God's opinion of us. But the Spirit of God says, wait a minute. You are a beloved child of God. I need that assurance. And you do too. Now, everything I said should make you comfortable. Here's where we're about to get into some of the weird stuff, right? Verse 6, y'all, okay. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now, they're about 12 men and all. The Holy Spirit produces praise and spiritual gifts in Christians. 
You know, what's, what's interesting is immediately after they're baptized, Paul laid his hands and he prayed that the Spirit of God would fill them. It's a common practice seen in the Scripture and throughout the history of the church. It was interesting. If y'all, if y'all ever pay attention to the prayers that I pray after somebody gets baptized, I make sure to include that thing in there. <laughs> like, Holy Spirit, fill this person. They belong to you. See, listen, here's the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit. We are initially filled with the Spirit when we believe in Jesus. But, y'all, we can be filled with the Spirit again and again and again. And I'll tell you an example. We already talked about in Acts chapter 2 how the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues and praise God. Two chapters later in Acts 4, the same group of people, plus like 2,000 others, but the same group of people, they're praying and they're asking uh, for God's help because they're facing persecution. And it says that the Holy Spirit filled them. So, so listen, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. It's not this thing about this one-time thing. And here's the reality. Instinctively, you know this. There are times you felt near to God, yes? And it wasn't the only time you felt near to God. Listen, this is an expectation and a prayer that we can have. Holy Spirit, you filled me with love and joy at my conversion. Would you fill me again? Would you fill me again? Matter of fact, Jesus encourages us to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. In Luke eleven thirteen, this is Jesus talking. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you've been walking with Christ, there, there are moments of what I would call spiritual highs, right? There are moments you can look back and I'm like, I felt real close to him right then. Now, we can look at that, and we can savor that, and we can thank God for him, but we can, we can also say, God, can I get it again? Could you fill me again? Could you remind me of your love, your care again? The Holy Spirit fills us with the love of God and the desire to praise. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I can't do a whole sermon on tongues, so I'm going to just park here for just a second. Just a second, we're going to have to move on. All right? But when we see people speaking in tongues in the book of Acts, this is what uh, the Faith Life Study Bible says. It says, this is likely a reference to an act related to worship. It's, it's not miraculously speaking uh, in another uh, person's native tongue, right? There's some, it's not what they know. It's some language that they don't know. An act speaking in tongues is related to the Holy Spirit indwelling and empowering believers. So, so if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, when it teaches about, about tongues, it says that when you pray in tongues, that you're not, uh, uh, you're praying to God. The Spirit is, is praying through you. It kind of bypasses your mental capacities, and it speaks straight to God. Now, the point I want to make in this is that whatever you're, think about what you would think that looks like. So you're in, you're in, you're in Ephesus. Paul lays hands on people. They start speaking in tongues and prophesying. What do you, do you think they're chilling? Do you think they're stoic? There's probably something like, look, look, hey, what y'all doing over there? Right? So, and look, something is happening, and, and what we can ascertain is that they are feeling God's presence, and they are praising him. Every time tongues is mentioned in the book of Acts, it is in conjunction with praise and worship. They feel God's presence. They feel his love. And they just can't help but speak God's praises. The Spirit of God communicates who God is and what he has done for us. 
And that should produce a lot of joy. Listen, what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.12, it says, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We have the spirit so that everything that Jesus bought for us, that we will be reminded and have assurance that we have. If you have ever wanted to praise and worship the Lord, it is because the Spirit of God dwells in you. I wasn't really going to say this, but I just feel like let it, let it say this. So I told you my first, my first, you know, discipleship was in a Pentecostal context, right? So this, this, that, that's where I was, okay? And one of the, the first things that I did uh, when I became a Christian, I wanted to, uh, you know, teach people about Jesus, right? And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't grow, grow up going to a church or anything like that. Uh, so I started a, a Bible study in my high school. It was a public high school. And I got, there's like five people that came to it, and I was teaching different stuff. Now, who knows what I was teaching them, y'all? I was like 14. Anyway, uh, <laughs> okay. But, but here's the deal. I took the book of Acts as it was. And I'm like, I guess that's how we live. And I remember one day I taught, I taught them about the Holy Spirit. And I said, all right, I'm going to lay hands on all y'all. And y'all going to speak in tongues. So I did. And y'all, all five of them, look, I laid hands on them. They started speaking in tongues. And I was like, oh. And it was just a part of my expectation. Like, I'm like, the, the Bible says it, so I guess I'm going to just try to do it. And then the Lord did it. And I remember, I remember, like, I mean, these kids that didn't go to church, right? I'm laying hands on them, like, and they praying in tongues. And, like, I'm like, oh, hey, cool, Jesus. And I, I remember uh, there was an English teacher who let me use that classroom. And I saw him, and he would, you know, it was public school, right? He, he would not be around, right? But at the end of the day, I saw him, and he said, he said, bro, what happened in here? And I said, well, I just laid hands on them, and they started speaking in tongues. He said, the classroom felt different all day. <laughs> listen, I, listen, I, God honors just faithful obedience, right? We can, we can, like, really get into a lot of theological discussions, or we can just say, well, the Bible says it, so let's just do it. <laughs> let's just do it. If the Bible says it, let's pursue it. Let's seek it. I remember, um, so my sister, she's serving in kids' ministry, but I remember, you know, there was this, there was this expectation that tongues was a gift you could get, right? And I didn't have it. And I, I had people pray for me. It didn't happen. Nothing happened, right? And so I remember my sister, she was encouraging me. I was, I was really discouraged. I'm like, why can't I get this gift? She was like, just keep praying, just keep praying. And then one day I was, I was, <laughs> I was praying in my bedroom, and some, some words came out. I'm like, I wonder what that is. You know? <laughs> and so um, I'm, I'm driving with Shanice down, uh, down the street, and, and she's like, I know you've been praying for that. Did, you, uh, did it happen? I was like, I think so. Oh, you know, like, and she's like, "Why are you doubted?" I'm like, "I think it was." She's just do it, and I'm, <laughs> we're down, driving down the street, and I'm praying in tongues. And listen, one of the, the beautiful things about that is that it assures you of the Spirit of God's closeness to you. It, in First Corinthians 14, it says that it says that it, it prays the mysteries of God. There's things that I don't know what to pray for, but I can be assured that the Spirit of God. Can use it. I just, I'm going to give you one more example, just because I'm just going to sit here for just a second. So my wife, I love you, she grew up in a, in a Baptist context, so we wasn't about tongues, okay? But we, we got married. I'm like, well, let me tell you about this thing, right? So I laid hands on her, and nothing happened. I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going, we're going to my business. I, I don't know what I was doing, and I had to go out. And then I came back, and, and 
I got to bed and I looked at her and she was like smiling hard. I thought she was asleep and threw me off. I was like, what, what, what you doing, dog? <laughs> and I was like, oh gosh. And she goes, I did it. <laughs> I did it. One of the things that is common when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit is, is joy. It's joy. It's joy. I got to move on. I told you I can't preach all the time about that. All right. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to encourage the church and serve the world. So it says that they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. I had a, uh, somebody asked me one time, what is prophecy? What is this? I'm going to try to give you like the most basic definition. Have you ever been directed by God to do or not do something that wasn't explicitly a verse? Maybe you're praying about a job. You got some sort of direction from God. But usually people, no matter what denomination, usually they feel some sense of being directed. Now, the next step is, have you ever been directed by God to tell somebody something? If the answer is yes, that's New Testament prophecy. It doesn't have to, be, doesn't have to get any more complex than that. Okay? So, so, so the Spirit of God urges you, directs you to tell somebody something in hopes of their encouragement. That's what that is. And listen, all those spiritual gifts come from the Holy Spirit. In Romans 12, 6-8, it says, According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, if teaching. If exhorting and exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. All these different varieties of giftings, they are evidence of the Spirit working in your life. And the Spirit of God gives us spiritual gifts to encourage one another and to then go out into the world in boldness to proclaim Jesus Christ, his gospel. One of the most interesting things is on the topic of spiritual gifts, I feel like there's, there's somewhat of a fatalism in the sense of like, I guess I get the ones I get. But actually, the, the scripture instructs you to ask for and desire spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, this is the Bible. It says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And especially that you may prophesy. That's Bible. It says, I want you to long to have spiritual gifts. Now, what does this mean for our church? What does this mean for us? If we want to be people who know who the Spirit of God is, who have experience with the Spirit of God, who, who walk with the Holy Spirit, what does this mean? It means a couple of things. The first thing is, I want to encourage us to be a people of expressive praise and worship. This is what it says in Ephesians 5, 18-19. It says, be filled with the Spirit. And you could go, that's a cool command. How do I do that? Well, the next verse says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. So he said, he is this command that says, how can I, I can't make the Spirit fill me. How do I do that? He says, be filled by the Spirit. How? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He said, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you sing. It's the clearest thing he said. Like, be filled with the Spirit. How? You, and listen, again, think about what, what the picture you're thinking about in Acts 19. The Spirit of God is there. People are praising God. They're speaking in tongues and they're prophesying. What do you think it looks like? Does it look stoic? Do you think it, people are just chilling? No, matter of fact, it looks so crazy in Acts 2. People are like, are y'all drunk? 
if you just got a picture of what, it, what do you think it looks like when the Spirit of God fills people so that they want to sing praise to God, the one who is the author of life, the one who gives you joy and boldness. What does that look like? Now we might pause. It's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Does, does praise fill us with the Holy Spirit or does the Holy Spirit make us praise? Guess what? Yes. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Beloved, if I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to praise with an expectation that he's going to fill me. And then I will receive and fill the love of God. And guess what that's going to make me want to do? Praise and worship. That is the one, that is the one commonality that you can see. Now, there's a lot of differences between Pentecostal and charismatic denominations. But I tell you what, when they sing, they sing. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. So let us sing with an expectation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, not getting too bogged out. I think a lot of times we're like, if God slaps me in the face, I'll worship him. Or maybe you need to try a little harder to worship him. Maybe, maybe God works in conjunction with your praise and worship. Maybe he's not, maybe you don't need to wait until oh, God just forces me to do a thing. No, maybe you need to praise with expectation. I'm going to praise and worship you like I believe the Spirit of God is real and I'm going to have an expectation that you will fill me. What it also means for our church is, is, is it means this. It means that, that we need to be a church that does not despise prophecy. And I got that straight from the scripture. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-21. He says, don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But test all things. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. What is, what is he talking about here? Listen, we've talked, talked about this. What is prophecy? You feel like the spirit of God is urging you to tell somebody something, okay? Let's just keep it real. Let me just say it a different way. Can someone teach the Bible wrong? Does that mean we shouldn't teach the Bible? Yeah, right. Okay, so, so can somebody do prophecy weird and wrong? Yeah. Does that mean we shouldn't do it? Anything, anything that, that you can use for good can be twisted and, and used in a way that's inappropriate. And so what he's saying is this. Listen, I, I, maybe this church, they have some crazy people who were saying a lot of crazy stuff. They're like, everybody just be quiet. We don't, want, don't share nobody. Don't share what God's telling you. Y'all say craziness. And Paul's like, look, look, I know the homeboy over there be saying telling people weird stuff, okay? But, but don't despise it. Instead, what? Test it. Test it. What do you test it with? You test it with the scriptures. So listen, if you feel like the Spirit of God is telling you to do something and it directly contradicts scripture, guess what? It ain't him. <laughs> it ain't him. But if you feel like the Spirit of God is telling you to do something, or telling you to speak a word of encouragement to somebody, you can go, does this contradict Scripture? No, I don't think it does. Then be bold and share that word of encouragement. How it works at our church, and y'all seen this, if you've come a while, if somebody feels like they have something that the Lord wants to say, uh, we, we, and we follow 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about how elders judge prophecy. All right, so if somebody, if you're like, man, I thought like the Lord wants me to say this, that, or another, you come talk to me, you come talk to one of the other elders, and we're going to test it. I'm going to tell you what we'll test it. The first thing I go, is that biblical? <laughs> All right, if it's not biblical, I'm like, no, thank you for trying, okay? Uh, <laughs> if it's not, uh, then I go, is, is it for now? Maybe it's, maybe it's not unbiblical, but I just, 
that doesn't seem like that's pertinent right now. Okay? Or that seems biblical, and I believe it would encourage the body. Go for it. Go for it. Listen, what this means for our church is that we want to be a church that asks the Lord to speak through us, but also be humble enough to, to let it be tested. You don't need to say something. You need to go. You need to, what that means is very, very plainly. If you feel like the Spirit of God is telling you to do something, come talk to the leadership and let's sift through it. Let's look at the scripture and let's say, is this for now? Is this helpful? Is it pertinent? This is a way that there's really two extremes, right? One extreme is everybody say whatever you think the Lord say at all times. That can get weird, okay? Sometimes people tell me God told them. I'm like, I ain't say that, yo. You know, like, that ain't what he said. I, 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 that's not what he sound like, okay? But then the other extreme is we don't expect any spontaneity. The Spirit of God might not interrupt us at all. There's got to be a healthy biblical medium in which we encourage people to want to hear from the Holy Spirit, but also encourage a humility that says, I'm not infallible and neither are you, so let's submit this to one another. Is, do you think this is from the Spirit of God? Would this be helpful? All right, last thing what this means for our church is this, is that we will be people who pray for and lay hands on people with expectation. Listen, Jesus and the apostles laid hands on people when they prayed for them. If they were sick, they laid hands on them. If they had a demon, they laid hands on them. Apparently, when they just got saved in Acts 19, they laid hands on them. That just seemed to be a common thing that they do. They would pray for and lay hands expecting the Holy Spirit of God to touch and encourage that, that, that person. So listen, I'm not guaranteeing that every time you pray for a sick person, they're going to get healed. But I bet sometimes they will. If someone needs encouragement, if someone is, is feeling weak, if they're feeling uh, uh, attacked by the enemy, beloved, let's pray for them, laying hands on them, trusting that the Lord would do something. Laying hands is an expectation and the plea that God would supernaturally touch and intervene in the life of the ones we're praying for. And what's cool, cool about this, uh, i got to thread this needle here, man, but I have seen the Spirit of God work through that. I have seen, like, I'm not talking about I heard somebody. Like, I've seen it. I've seen God heal people. I've seen God give freedom. Now, does it happen every single time? No. And I don't even know why, but I didn't seen it before, so I'm going to keep doing it. I remember I was on a mission trip in Belize, and there was a guy, he came up for prayer, and, and he was deaf. He was a deaf, deaf guy, and because he was, you know, somebody on my team, they, uh, the sign language. And he said, can you pray for me? I said, I, I, I'm going to lay hands and pray. So I began to pray for this guy, and the idea came through my mind. Why don't you just snap your fingers in his ear? I'm like, that's weird. I'm going to just try it. <laughs> and so uh, I, this guy's eyes were closed, and, and I snapped my finger in his ear. His eyes would pop open. I'm like, oh, snap. And he begins, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he begins weeping. Now, I didn't know. I'm like, what's going on? And um, there was music playing in the background. It was like worship music. And he was signing to the person on my team. He says, I'm weeping because I've never heard music before. And it's beautiful. So what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about something that's a theory. Okay? I'm talking about something I have seen. That means that, listen, I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm going I'm to walk in obedience. If somebody's sick, I'm going to pray for him. 
If they need encouragement, I'm going to pray for them. If I feel like the Spirit of God is telling me to say something, and it's not crazy, but it is according with the Scripture, what is it going to hurt if you try? There's a, there's a theologian that says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Alright? Now, what does this mean for you? If you're here and you're like, man, this is crazy. I don't know nothing about Jesus or nothing like that. Listen, what it means is that God wants to be in close relationship with you. That our faith is not just a cerebral, intellectual inter- like, like exercise, but that the Spirit of God, the one who created heavens and the earth, wants to be in close relationship with you and wants to produce goodness and joy and peace on the inside of your heart. Beloved, we just don't believe in something that's an intellectual exercise, but that the one who created all things says, I want to be in relationship with you. And if you would confess your sins and believe, the Spirit of God will come and produce all sorts of good and beautiful fruit in your heart. And what this means for those who are Christians is that we would just be people who seek to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you become familiar with God through the scriptures. That's how you know, that's his voice. That's what he talks. So listen, if you have a prompting, like, that don't, go, that don't sound like scripture. That, that ain't spirit. But the more familiar you get with the scriptures, the more familiar you get with, with right doctrine, the more confidence that you can have that the spirit of God is speaking to you. And that means that you have times and moments of quiet and silence in the presence of, of the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm here. Speak to me. I'm here. Direct me. And the last thing is, keep asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I literally ask that every day. <laughs> Lord, fill me with the Spirit. It's something that's not, there are moments in my life where I remembered it was awesome. There's moments where I felt low, but whatever. Would you fill me with the Spirit today? Would you help me to know what you want me to do today? Would you help me to encourage people today? He's not an evil, uh, an evil father where you ask for something and he gives you something else. He's the one that says, that, that's a good thing to ask for, and I'll give that to you. So the church must have a robust theology and experience of the Holy Spirit. May that be our church. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand your word and to, um, to not be afraid to follow you and to seek you. And um, Lord, we just, we just ultimately want to be people of your word, and, and your word testifies to the the power of the Spirit of God. So Lord, I pray that we will be a church who believes in that power and seeks to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, ultimately, the things that we want, uh, our own spiritual growth, the, the salvation of our neighbor, these are things that we just can't do in ourselves, but we need the power and the experience of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, would you fill us again today? Would you fill us with courage and boldness to seek you, uh, to honor you, to listen uh, patiently and quietly to you, and to obey, Lord? Please, Lord God, fill us with the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.